0: Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, and welcome to episode 23 of the Pennsylvania Project. As you may know, here at the Pennsylvania Project, our vision is a better Pennsylvania. To achieve that vision, our mission is to boldly showcase the political, cultural, and environmental challenges facing contemporary Pennsylvania, and to relentlessly, vigorously, and methodically pursue correct solutions. But more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem. No problemo. We have a homespun episode planned for you today. And like all episodes of the Pennsylvania Project, it's divided into three parts. You, them, and me. Part one is all about you, your questions, your opinions, your solutions, your whatevers. And rather than a call-in format, we're an email-in format. So if you have something to say, you can contact us at pennsylvaniaproject.com. And you can always listen in afterwards on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, or whatever your favorite podcast provider may be. Today, for the You part, we have all new questions one about enforcing the Constitution, a good one of my book, and a trio from one of our regular contributors on universal basic income, taxes, and believe it or not, monkeys. Hold my calls, please. Thank you. <laughs> After that, part two is all about them. Each episode, we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental challenges facing Pennsylvania. Our guest today is a mix of environmental and political. He's a real estate broker and land use expert, Kevin Gowan. After that comes part three of the Pennsylvania Project, the me part, where it's my turn, your caster, Ken Crawchuk. I'll be focusing on a particular issue that really sticks in my craw. Today's rant, how some parents discipline their kids. Or don't, as the case may be. And throughout the show, we'll be featuring a Pennsylvania Toastmaster to narrate our live commercials and whatever comes into our mailbag. Today we have with us another Drexel University Toastmaster, Anna Hess. Welcome to the Pennsylvania Project, Anna.
1: Hi, Ken. I should tell you, my name is Anna Egan Hess.
0: Egan Hess. It's okay.
1: People make that mistake all the time. (laughs) I'm,
0: I'm famous for making mistakes. But one thing I know is not a mistake, and that's Toastmasters. You're a Toastmaster. Yes, I am. Tell me what you like about being a Toastmaster.
1: I love just being able to talk in front of people. I know that a lot of people use Toastmasters as a way to get comfortable with public speaking. I never had a problem with public speaking myself. So I enjoy the way that you can just get up there, share your thoughts, share your opinions. And there's some judgment involved, but it's helpful judgment mm-hmm. and not the mean kind.
0: That's right. That's, that's what the very heart of Toastmasters a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills, as we'll hear in a commercial coming up soon. Well, welcome. Let's dig right into that mailbag now. now. And remember, our mission here is not just to complain, but also to explore solutions. So what do we have today? Anna Egan
1: Hess. Well, here's a three-part suggestion from our repeat contributor, Bernie McPahan, in Ellsworth City, PA. He writes, Here are some of my big political heart points. Replace property and income tax with sales tax. Replace the minimum wage with universal basic income. And mail all American homeowners coupons for steep discounts on all albums created by the monkeys.
0: (laughs) What are you, Bernie? Some kind of a daydream believer? (laughs) I don't know. Sorry, Bernie. You know, I've spoken a lot about taxes lately. And I hope you don't mind. I'm going to leave off that. Taxes, property tax, and income tax thing for a future episode, because I have put together a rant about the philosophical nature of taxation. So let me let me come back to that in an upcoming episode, and I'll do the rant at the same time. I hope you don't mind, or even if you do, but you know, let's let's focus on that other question that you mentioned there about replacing the minimum wage with universal basic income. Well, Bernie, you know, for once, you certainly have my support for eliminating the minimum wage. I talked about that way back in episode 13, what's that, 10 episodes ago, It was in response to a different question. I won't go into all the details. You can go back and listen to it if you're interested, episode 13. It's right in the beginning. But let me sum up real quickly just to give us a context here. Minimum wage laws, I think, are incredibly counterproductive, and I can give you three clear-cut reasons. Reason number one, they cut off the bottom rungs of the ladder to success. For every 30-something who's receiving a $15 an hour minimum wage, two teenagers are left jobless. You're eliminating training opportunities for our youth. Good grief. Reason number two, minimum wage laws force businesses to overpay for skills. That contributes to inflation, drives up wages, and subsequently drives up prices. That means fewer goods, fewer services, fewer jobs. Reason number three, means it also lowers the capital that's available for business growth. And that way you're stifling the economy and you're hurting everyone, not just the young. And from a personal point of view, I find it to be very unlibertarian, Since you have the right to live your life your way without interference, provided only that you respect the rights and property of others, well, that means you could decide what wage to pay your employees or what wage you're willing to accept as an employee. Your life your way. It's up to you. Never the government. Bottom line is that government should never, ever interfere in the free market. So I see that as a no-brainer. So yes, Bernie, I agree. Let's replace the minimum wage, not with a universal basic income. Let's replace it with nothing. As for your universal basic income, well, I pardon me for saying, I think it's another bad idea. For those who don't know, the concept is that everyone should automatically receive some sort of a payout or a stipend, Presumably from the government, I think you must mean. It's one of those get something for nothing schemes. It sounds great getting something for nothing except for one key item. Who is going to pay for it? Do you know the cost of government in Pennsylvania has been growing on average at more than three times the rate of inflation for over 50 years? And now you want to add to that, bring on another recession, put people out of work? And then who are you going to tax to pay for your universal scheme? I'm reminded what Maggie Thatcher said a number of years ago, quote, the trouble with socialism is that eventually you run out of other people's money. With universal payment like that, it sounds like you'd run out of money pretty quickly, giving everybody all that kind of money. But you know, universal basic income schemes have been tried before. The rationale for it was to let people learn new skills, have time to look for a job, set up their own business, that sort of deal. Well, a couple years ago, Finland tried it. They gave 2,000 people $634 a month. After two years, they threw in the towel. They said, nope. They found it had absolutely no impact on employment rates. And they found people who were receiving the cash were no more likely to seek work than those who didn't. One thing they did find, though, the people who got that money, they were happier. (laughs) Of course they were. It's free money, right? I'd be happier, too. The only problem was the, the donors weren't very happy. And, you know, when I was looking this up, I was just checking out the details of the Finland thing, and I found out Chicago is now thinking about the idea. Good luck to them. Good Oh, man. You may want to think about moving there, Bernie, except it's not likely to pass. I hear it's got a real tall mountain to climb to pass. Big problem is that people with no incentive to work, well, you know, they, they have no incentive to work. It's just another welfare scheme, and of course, our mission here is not just to solve problems correctly, but to solve the correct problem, and the correct problem to solve is a solution to welfare, and that solution is the separation of society and state, as I discussed at great length in episode 17, and it's also the subject of my novel, Atlas Snubbed, whose commercial will be coming up shortly. So go back and listen to episode 17 or get the book at lissnubed.com.
1: Konstantin Davinsky writes, The worst part about Article 1, Section 21 of the state constitution is that it failed to outline a serious penalty. If there were actually penalties in place for violating their oath to defend the constitution, maybe lawmakers and their enforcers would be less inclined to do so.
0: Would it really, Konstantin? And by the way, for those who don't know which is probably most everyone. How many people read the Pennsylvania Constitution? Article 1, Section 21 says, quote, the right of the citizens to bear arms in defense of themselves and the state shall not be questioned. And I must add, Section 25 says that the right, quote, shall forever remain inviolate. Inviolate? yeah, right. Cut me a break. Try carrying a gun without a permit and see how how quickly the questions come or how inviolate that right is. But I digress. Well, Constantine, there happens to already be a clause in the Pennsylvania Constitution that lays out penalties, two of them, in fact. Article 2, Section 7 says, quote, No person hereafter convicted of embezzlement of public monies, bribery, perjury, or other infamous crime shall be eligible to the General Assembly or capable of holding any office of trust or profit in this Commonwealth. Pretty blunt. And Article 6, Section 7 says, All civil officers shall hold their offices on the condition that they behave themselves while in office and shall be removed on conviction of misbehavior in office or any infamous crime. Appointed civil officers, other than the judges of the court of record, may be removed at the pleasure of the power by which they have been appointed. All civil officers elected by the people, except the governor, lieutenant governor, members of the General Assembly, and judges of courts of record, shall be removed by the governor for reasonable cause. I like that one. After due notice and a full hearing on the address of two-thirds of the Senate. So there you have it, Constantine. It's there, twice. So what's the problem here that you're trying to solve? The source of the problem, in my mind, well, you could try and solve the problem, but the correct solution to the problem is something that I ranted about. And talked about from males coming in in episodes 11, 12, 13, 16, and 17 so far. And now this is going to be 18. The source is that quote-unquote justice system. Just last episode, in episode 22, I did a deep dive into the Pennsylvania Constitution. I spoke of how the Pennsylvania Supreme Court violates the Constitution. They drew their own congressional map. A year or two ago, even though the Constitution explicitly gives responsibility to the legislature. Constantine, what can we do when the courts, the Supreme Court, doesn't follow the Constitution? And the courts have supported law after law after law that bluntly, explicitly and blatantly violate the Constitution. In episode 22, I cited, I think it was 17 or 18 parts of the Pennsylvania Constitution that are being routinely violated today. And if you don't believe me, go listen. Listen to all of them. Tell me, show me where I'm wrong. I would love to find out that I was wrong. 17, 8, maybe 18 places. Maybe I miscounted. What can I say? So there's your issue. So what do we do? I'll be honest with you, I don't know. When the Constitution already addresses such crimes in two places, when the courts are complicit in perpetrating those crimes, when the schools never teach our kids the Pennsylvania Constitution, Leaving generation after generation in ignorance as to what it says? What else would you expect except widespread violation of the basic laws of the land? Let me repeat I don't know. I don't know what we can do. If you do, let me know. Let us all know. Contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com and I'll get it on the show because, Constantine, your question is right on. It's a problem screaming for a solution a correct solution or a solution of the correct problem. And on that exasperated note, that'll do it for the you portion of the show. We're gonna pause for this information and when we return, we'll be visiting with today's guest, real estate broker and land use expert, Kevin Gowen.
2: Did you hear the latest news? Almost two thirds of all federal spending now goes to pay for the welfare state. More than $2.2 trillion, which just about equals federal income. Do you realize what that means? Virtually all tax revenue is now being consumed by the welfare state. But how do we rein in that runaway spending before it destroys America? The answer? The separation of society and state. That's the premise of the new novel Atlas Snubbed, an unsanctioned parody sequel to Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Atlas Snubbed presents a workable alternative to the welfare state as we know it. Atlas Snubbed expertly extends Rand's epic story of a looter's world snubbed by the men of the mind, bringing to life a crumbling post-apocalyptic world where no one need ask who is John Galt, because now they know. Atlas Snubbed, available at all online bookstores or through atlassnubbed.com. Read it today before it's too late.
0: Hey, Ken Krawchuk here, caster of the Pennsylvania Project. You know, it's easy to find a high-paying job. At least for some people it is. Employers are begging for competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. But do those words describe you? Competent leader communicates effectively? If not, or even if they do, you may want to consider joining Toastmasters. The mission of Toastmasters is to provide a supportive environment for learning communication and leadership skills. But does it really work? Hey, look at me. I joined Toastmasters and now I have my own radio podcast. So turn your life around like I have. Visit Toastmasters.org and contact the club near you. Visitors are always welcome and be sure to mention my name. The future is anxiously awaiting competent leaders who know how to communicate effectively. You can be that leader. It all starts at Toastmasters.org. Toastmasters.org. I'll get it right. Hey, Ken Krawchuk again, and welcome to the Them portion of episode 23 of the Pennsylvania Project, where we host a guest to help showcase the political, cultural, and or environmental issues facing Pennsylvania. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, our guest today is a mix of the environmental and the political, real estate broker and land use expert, expert, Kevin Galhan. Kevin became a libertarian in 1996, a couple decades ago. What flipped him around is he found the world's smallest political quiz tacked to a school bulletin board. You should check out that world's smallest political quiz. It's pretty cool. He was president of the Libertarian Club at Carnegie Mellon University. He's author of two sci-fi novels. He's one ahead of me. One's called Interest, and the other one's called Principle. Well, you can tell what business he's in. (laughs) He's worked in real estate since 2006. He's earned his real estate broker license in 2011, opened his own brokerage, he does commercial residential real estate and has four agents working for him. He ardently opposes governmental land use controls because he's seen firsthand how ordinances pertaining to zoning, subdivision, historical architecture, stormwater, and so forth are very damaging not only to homeowners and businesses but also to would-be homeowners. Kevin, welcome to the Pennsylvania Project.
3: It is great to be here, Ken. Thank you.
0: And sorry, after that big, long introduction, we are out of time. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, see you next week. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's good.
0: Yeah, no, it's good to have you here.
3: It's great to be here. I followed you on the campaign trail, and now I'm on your radio show. It's great.
0: There you go. Where to begin? I mean, there's, there's so many different things that I want to I cover here. I guess we should start with, let's start with the libertarian side. Sure. Because you're also, and it should have been in your introduction here, which is why I'm bringing it up. You are the executive director of the State Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania.
3: That is correct. Yes, I am.
0: Wow. What does that mean?
3: So, the executive director is the chair's right hand man. And mm-hmm. my job is basically to recruit members, to advertise the party, uh, to increase our branding, to raise funds, uh, also to organize all the things that aren't currently being done.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> speaking as a libertarian, that must be an awful lot. <laughs> No comment, but <laughs> there's always something to do. That's but, true. Politics yeah. will eat up your whole life if you let it.
3: Yeah, I never run out of things to do. Let's put it that way. Agreed. So uh, I started April of this year, and basically I was a volunteer for a long time. I was a an activist for 20-some years, and I I got a little frustrated that things weren't as organized as they could be. And in this state, we have... 40,000 registered libertarians. 40,000.
0: Uh-huh. I thought it was a little higher than that.
3: It might be. But, you know, the numbers are always constantly changing, especially now that they're removing old people from the voter rolls. You know, that's a whole topic for another show, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I look at the numbers, I see not just 40,000 libertarians, but also probably an order of magnitude more actual libertarians who aren't registered that way.
0: Oh, yeah. I see that all the time on the campaign trail. Yep. You know, because whenever I do a presentation, I mention the the heart of libertarianism. Your life, your way, as long as you respect the rights and property of others. Right. And I'll ask people in the audience, I said, how many of you agree with that statement? Kevin, every hand in the room goes up. And I said, hey, we're all libertarian. Yeah. And some people look daggers at me, but it is the golden rule on a political political level. But you're right. Most people are libertarian.
3: Yeah, and I think that... There are a number – I would say 40,000 registered libertarians. I I would say there are 10 times that many who identify as libertarian but don't want to register that way because they want to vote in primaries, Mm -hmm. which is another issue.
0: I've ranted about that one already.
3: Yep. proof of this is in 2016 – or I think it was 2016 – our candidate, Ed Clifford, got over a quarter million votes or close to a quarter million votes, if I'm not mistaken. And when you think about a quarter million votes in a state where there are 12 million registered voters – that's a significant That's, yeah. chunk of the voters who believe firmly in libertarianism. Now, I think that there's 10 times that many who are libertarian who don't realize it because we haven't reached out to them and we haven't educated them. They haven't found a little card on the bulletin board the way I did. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: yeah, by the way, it was episode five that I ranted about primary elections and why are we paying for them?
3: That's a good question.
0: Well, you can go listen to episode five. It's right, It's at the end, and I go on for about 10 or 15 minutes. Why are we paying for their beauty contests?
3: Yeah. Well, the Libertarian Party does not charge the taxpayers for our nomination process. Uh, we do it all at a convention, as you know. Mm-hmm. You have been the nominee, what, three times now?
0: Well, for governor, yes. 2002, yeah. 2014, and 2018.
3: Yep, and it doesn't cost the taxpayers a dime. We rent the hotel. We do all our business there, and we don't put the onus on the uh, taxpayers.
0: Yep. Where do you find these candidates?
3: Oh, candidate recruiting is something that we're working on. There are a lot of libertarians out there who want to run, but they had, until recently, no real guidance on how to run. Mm-hmm. And as you know, the electoral process, getting on the ballot, ballot access, is very challenging in this state. It's, uh, it's difficult. But all the time we have people reaching out to us saying that, I want to run as a libertarian. Can you show me how? And this year, uh, I think we have somewhere between 30 and 40 libertarians running. And that's up from last year when it was 18.
0: Mm-hmm. And by the way, it was episode 15 where my guest was Timothy Runkle, the treasurer of the state Green Party. Oh, yeah. And he and I went on back and forth about the difficulties of getting on the ballot.
3: Oh, it's a stack deck. Absolutely. Oh,
0: they're afraid of the competition is what it comes yes. down to. That's exactly it. But we have a lot of people in office. What's the last latest number? I heard we have like 30 or 40 in office in Pennsylvania.
3: We have 30. 30. Li- uh, libertarians who are officially elected or appointed in office in Pennsylvania. Wow. So a common comment that we get is, well, Libertarians can't win. That's why I don't vote for them. Really? Yeah. <laughs> We've won 30 times. <laughs> I know, and
0: there are hundreds. Yeah. You know, Montgomery County used to be the county with the most elected Libertarians in the nation. In 1997, we elected 12 of them. Wow. Yeah, that was impressive. We've come close a couple times, but never never hit that high water mark. And we have several now in Montgomery County. I'm thinking of Jen Moore. She's going to be my guest in a couple in two weeks. Matter of fact.
3: Oh yeah, she has a lot to say about the uh, ballot access process. Uh-huh. And
0: that's probably one of the ones we were going to focus on. That good. Jen is pretty good. They're the kind of people you want to find. Well, what else can you say about the party? I mean,
3: we're growing. Uh, mm-hmm. Our members, uh, the number of dues-paying members, has increased forty percent just in the last four or five months. To give you an idea. Uh, the number wow. of registered libertarians across the country has increased 92% over the last 10 years. So while other parties are shrinking, such as the GOP, we are growing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are coming to us because they're tired of business as usual and they want something new.
0: I know. And Donald and Hillary chased a lot of people out of the two old parties, too. <laughs> I should
3: send them a thank you note. Really. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Buy
0: them a beer or something like yeah. that. What about this year? How many candidates are we looking at this year? About
3: 30 to 40, uh, 25 of whom are running unopposed.
0: Una- so, what do you mean? They're like virtually guaranteed election?
3: Virtually guaranteed. But although when the big parties get wind of what we're doing, I'm sure they're going to mount right in campaigns. But
0: oh, and we just told them.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, they know about it. Don't you worry. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> they're watching.
0: I know. And you can bet they're listening, too. Oh, yeah. This is a good window into the Libertarian Party. Uh-huh. Now, if I want to run for office, what do I do? If you want
3: to run for office, the first step is reaching out to your local county committee, assuming that's a local office that you're running for, and you want to get their nomination. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a district that spans multiple counties or it's a statewide office, you want to get the nomination from the state party, which is done at the convention.
0: And when's the convention usually?
3: Uh, convention is usually February, March uh-huh. of each year. And
0: and we- we- <laughs>
3: it's it's cold, uh-huh. but we do it inside, so you don't have to worry.
0: <laughs> uh, darn it. I'm a winter camper, so you can't, can't scare me off.
3: Oh, I know. I, I remember you slept in the uh, tent the whole... Uh, campaign.
0: That's right. And my wife was there with me, too. She's here in the room. Look, at she's sticking her tongue out at me. Come here and say that. <laughs> no, it's great. It was like the first time we did it was my 98 campaign, 1998 for governor. And we were all over the state. It was like a second honeymoon for us. One of the high points is we camped out at Sarah Coyne's campground in Erie. It's right on the sands of Lake Erie. And we had the tent set up right there on the beach. I've been there. It's beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. And the Erie Times sent a reporter. They, she took a picture of me there on the beach, setting up the tent. And the next morning, I was on the front page above the crease of the Erie Times. Rocks.
3: Oh, that's a good time. I love it. Oh, sorry. Got a little off track there. But anyway, the next process. <laughs> that's all right. That's what we're here for. The next step in running for office is uh, getting signatures. So uh-huh. in Pennsylvania, they don't, don't let you appear on the ballot. You have to petition the government to appear on the ballot. Oh, that's how it works. Oh, please, Massa. Put yeah, me on the ballot exactly. If it you know pleases the crown, I would like to appear on the ballot. Mm-hmm. I'd like to give the citizens another choice. So depending on the office, you have to get anywhere from three hundred to five thousand signatures. Mm-hmm. So those people you see standing outside the polls on election day getting signatures—they're standing on street corners. There's that's part of the electoral process. And then yeah.
0: been there, done that.
3: Yes, you have too many.
0: <laughs> In fact, this year I got my campaign manager Mark on the ballot single-handedly. Why didn't I collect? out about 800 signatures for the guy.
3: Mark, did you say thanks? <laughs> <laughs> so after, after you submit all these um, signatures, then after that, there's about a week-long period where, get this, the Republicans and Democrats can challenge you. That's not fair. No, especially because we can't challenge them. They've written the rules that way.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, we can. I personally have challenged a Republican for town council, Stanford Gross. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, my wife's laughing. She remembers Stan. He's all right. But I actually took him to court. He and I were the only two people on the ballot. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I thought, this is going to be it. And that's the last time the Democrats stopped putting people on the ballot. They said, oh, no, the libertarians are here.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite a process. And then, you know, you get on the ballot, and then next year you've got to do the same thing all over again. Mm-hmm. and. Sometimes they let you get on the ballot automatically, like for special elections, but you have to retain minor party status for that. And that's a whole ball of wax. I mean, you Uh, need a certain percentage of the vote. And if you you don't get it, then you're back to square one.
0: You know, and that's something that really sticks in my craw. The official law calls us a minor political party. Cut me a break. I don't know how. You know, in this age of political correctness, how can they call us minor I call us challenger parties.
3: <laughs> well, they don't like challenges, do they? No. They don't want like competition. Their, they
0: like their monopoly. That's right. And then after all that, then the voters decide they can vote for you. Yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. One nice thing about the challenge period, up until 2018, they used to be able to fine you for getting for losing the challenge. They would fine you for court, court, court costs, signature analysis, Department of State costs, this cost, that cost. And, in fact, there's a green guy, Carl Romanelli, who was fined $80,000 for the temerity of trying to run for statewide office. Ralph Nader was fined $80,000. And in my rant about the – in episode five about the primary election, I read a letter from the Republicans when they threatened us with $100,000 fines if we didn't immediately withdraw.
3: Yep. Yep. Yeah, they used to use that to bully us, no question. Yeah. And now they're using other tactics.
0: I know we won a court case in 2018. They can't do that anymore.
3: Yeah, n- now they're well. I won't get into it, but they're they're doing <laughs> some things that are you know a little shady. Uh, I don't
0: know. I, I I don't like to say they're doing something shady. What I'll do is I'll present the fact and let the fact stand for itself and let people make their own determination if it's shady. I mean, if they send us an email saying, if you don't immediately withdraw, we're going to take your butts into court. And the last time we did this, we won. And the people got fined $80,000, and now it's up to $100,000. I'll just tell people that. And they could say, yeah, that's pretty shady. That's pretty rude. That's pretty anti-democratic. Right. But it's up to them. Oh. And we were talking, Anna and I were talking about before the show about subjective words. And shady is a very subjective word. It is. <laughs> but speaking of Anna... One mm-hmm. thing that I didn't mention in your introduction, you're a Toastmaster. I wouldn't say I'm a master,
3: but I definitely give toast
2: poorly. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, you're a member. You're a member of Toastmasters I, I, International. I, sh- I
3: show up to meetings and I blunder
0: through it. But yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Let yeah. me ask you, why are you a Toastmaster? What do you like about it? Because you pestered me until I joined. So. <laughs> <laughs> Truth, Truth. like <laughs> Truth. pester you, everybody.
3: You and Alan yadi do, do you know I, Alan? Oh, I know Alan. Yeah, he's big on Toastmaster too. And he kept coming to our local libertarian meetings and uh-huh. he kept saying, "You got to join. You got to join. join." And every time I saw you, you said the same thing. So I said, "All right, by golly, I'm going to join."
0: Uh-huh. And of course, you know, there's a tradition in the Libertarian Party. Every time that I say the word Toastmaster, everybody's got to take a drink.
3: Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, we're drunk by the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> Several people are in comas. It's it's a uh-huh. wild time.
0: <laughs> yeah, not. And what do you like about Toastmasters? You didn't ask, answer.
3: Well, I think, like many people, I've had a uh, lifelong fear of public speaking. Mm -hmm. And I think that, personally, the best way to deal with any fear is to subject yourself to it over and over again until you get comfortable with it. And I find it works wonders for that.
0: I agree. I agree completely. Sorry, I was looking down at the moment because I see that the time has come. We are here with our guest, Kevin Gawen? Gawen, yep. Gawen. Gawen. I'll get it right by the time the show is over, (laughs) or maybe right after the show is over. He is a land use expert, and when we come back after this information, we are going to talk about some of these land use issues.
1: Thinking about getting your first tattoo? Maybe you're ready to add to that sleeve you started or cover up that one regretful choice. Put Sam C. and his team of artists at Iron Will Tattoo Club in Glenside, PA at the top of your list. The team at Iron Will has plenty of designs to choose from, and they can create an original design or work with a design that you provide. Call 267-893-7625 today to schedule your free consultation. That's 267 8 rock! or visit them on Instagram at Iron Will Tattoo Club. Are you a small business owner always looking for referrals? Do you have a streamlined approach to generating new referrals? Contact Stephen Worley to learn the fast, easy way to generate new referrals. Stephen has an all inclusive system that will help you generate an extra five to 10 c- customers per week without spending $1 on ads. You won't have to create a website, have a picture taken, or write a single ad. Stephen will take the headache out of the process. Contact him at stephenworley.com. That's Stephen with a V w-e-r-l-e-y dot com
0: Hey, Ken Krawchak here, caster for the Pennsylvania Project and past libertarian candidate for Pennsylvania governor. You know, one of the best parts of running for governor is that they actually let me into the schools and speak directly to the students to present the unvarnished political truth. (laughs) But the best part wasn't in my speaking, it was in my listening. Because in all of those appearances, in virtually every class, I got to ask the same question over and over and over. And over and over and over again, I kept hearing the same answer. Deafening silence. What was that question I asked? Quote, how many of you have read the Pennsylvania Constitution? Unquote. And why the silence? Because virtually no one, no one, I'm telling you, has read the Pennsylvania Constitution. Have you? Was it taught in your school? Before today, did you even know we had a constitution? If the thousands of students I spoke to are any indication, the answer is a resounding no. This is completely unacceptable. As you know, we here at the Pennsylvania Project are all about solutions, and we have come up with a solution to the silence. You see, we've authored a petition asking the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each of the 500, 501 school districts in Pennsylvania to immediately start teaching the Pennsylvania Constitution to our children. That petition is up on our website right now at PennsylvaniaProject.com. And I'm asking you, please sign it. Please run. Don't walk to our website, PennsylvaniaProject.com. Add your name to the growing list of signers. And every time we accumulate another big batch of signers, we'll send a copy to the governor, the Pennsylvania Board of Education, and each and every one of the 500 school districts in Pennsylvania. Do it now while it's on top of your mind. Go to pennsylvaniaproject.com. Be part of the historic shift. Sign the petition. End the silence. The alternative is another generation that never heard of, let alone read, the Pennsylvania Constitution. And that is completely unacceptable.
1: Do you have the financial freedom that you imagined you would have? At AJ Freedom Financial, we are dedicated to serving you while helping you achieve your financial goals. We offer planning and investment advice on everything from college and retirement, planning to a rollover 401k. Please call 866-383-6899 to learn more. The top priority at A.J. Freedom Financial has always been and always will be our clients. 866-383-6899. Call A.J. Financial Freedom today and talk to a qualified professional. 866-383-6899. That's 866-383-6899. H.A. Freedom, helping Helping Pennsylvanians achieve financial freedom from the man. Securities and investments advisory services are offered through Gradient Securities LLC member FINRA-SEPTIC. Insurance pr- products and services are offered through AJ Freedom Financial. AJ Freedom Financial is not affiliated with Gradient Securities LLC.
0: Hey Ken Crawchalk here again, and we're back with episode 23 of the Pennsylvania Project with our guest, land use expert Kevin Gauhan. Did I get it right that time? Yes. There you go. <laughs> we we talked about a lot of things, a lot of party things and Toastmaster things at the beginning, but I'm gonna come to this land use thing. Mm-hmm. Now in your introduction, it says that. You've seen firsthand how these ordinances are harming businesses, individuals. Like what?
3: Well, I'll give you an example. I do a lot of uh, commercial real estate. And when I'm working with a client who's deciding where to put their business, probably the biggest factor is regulatory concerns. I bet. So they tend to shop around and find municipalities where things aren't as strictly enforced or perhaps they don't have as many regulations as other places and you can identify these places by how many businesses are in a certain locality. So my experience with this goes back to 2006. I am a real estate broker. That's when I started in the real estate business. And about 2 years after that, I submitted a land development plan to a local municipality and they acted like they were all in favor of it until I tore down this unsightly house that was on the lot. And then after that, I started getting a lot of resistance, angry people showing up at meetings. and
0: What were you trying to build? Townhouses. Okay.
3: Right. So at this point, the lot is vacant. I wanted to build townhouses on it. I start getting all this resistance. Um, so in Pennsylvania, there's a law called the Municipality's Planning Code, and they have 90 days to approve or reject any land development plan. Now, what these people did was they sat on my plan. They didn't vote on it. And then on the 91st day, they called my engineer and got him to sign a time extension without my permission. Isn't that already too late? Too late. That's right. So uh, at that point, the plan becomes deemed approved. Now, fine. I go to them and I say, all right, look, it's deemed approved. You guys missed a deadline. Can I have my permits? And they said, no. 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 So I had to take them to court. And of course, you know, court being what it is, at the local level, it's all political. Don't. And I lost at the common pleas court level. And what happened then, I appealed it to the Commonwealth Court, uh-huh. and the Commonwealth Court reversed. So they struck down the lower court. Nice. Yes. So I did win. And then, of course, the municipality took it up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court wouldn't hear it. I forget the legal term for that. But uh, that means the Commonwealth Court's ruling stood. Yep. So this whole process took 10 years of my life, Ken.
0: 10 years to put up a townhouse?
3: 10 years. And now we're facing the situation where today, in today's market, there isn't enough housing.
0: Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and so, they caused it. Well, not or only they were part of
3: it, I should say. They're part of it. It's happening everywhere. And would be developers are all over the place. It only takes six months to build a house. So, why is it that from the time someone submits their permit applications and their plans, it could take years to actually start breaking ground? And the reason for this is there's just too much regulation at this point.
0: Mm hmm. You know, in episode 21, I went on about zoning. Oh, God. About how bad it is. I'd, Fact that Houston, fourth largest city in America, has no zoning at all.
3: Right. Well, the, the entire purpose of zoning, and people don't realize this, is to protect the people who already own something,
0: mm-hmm.
3: to protect their investment. All right. Zoning is a method of pulling up the ladder so that no one else can build anything near you. <laughs> and you see this when you go to the public meetings. You see these nimby's, and they, you know, they say we don't want anything new in our neighborhood because they already own a piece of the pie. Uh huh. So when a developer comes in and says, "I want to build affordable housing," well, you can bet there's going to be resistance.
0: Well, let's take that giant step back. This is the Pennsylvania project. We are solution-oriented. Certainly, that's a problem there. What what kind of a solution do you see?
3: I see, well, when you look at after you submit a, a plan, There's all these different ordinances that you have to comply with. A lot of them contradict one another. (laughs) Surprise. Yeah, and there's not just one authority that you have to ask permission from. It's several. Uh Okay, so there's zoning, there's subdivision, there's stormwater, there's historical ordinances. You know, if you're along a highway, you have to get a highway occupancy permit from the state. You might need environmental permits. You might need all this different stuff, and it's from all different levels
0: of government. Yeah, yeah, but wait a minute. A lot of these things are in place to protect people, like the stormwater thing. You don't want to get rid of all the permeable open space because that way it contributes to floods certainly you don't want to be a, a nasty neighbor and you know put up bright lights shining on somebody's backyard or something like that don't you see these all these different agencies as being useful well
3: the road to you know where is paved with good intentions <laughs>
0: yeah i haven't said that in what two episodes there. <laughs>
3: So the problem is that the people who put these regulations in place don't actually work in the industry, and they don't understand what it is we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. So when they say, all right, well, we're limiting your impervious area, what they don't realize is you're essentially saying that someone can't build a parking lot for the business.
0: Yeah, that's true. Right. But, but the fact stands, there's a certain amount of, imp- certain amount of pervious space you've got to have. Is that a word, pervious? Yes. Yeah, it okay. is a word.
3: A lot of problem that we have, and you hear environmentalists complaining about sprawl, uh-huh. What they don't tell you or what they might not understand is that sprawl is entirely caused by government regulation. I, as a real estate developer, want to increase density as much as possible, right? If I've got a piece of land, I want to build as much there as I possibly can because the cost per unit is lower.
0: Of course.
3: Right? Economies of scale. Zoning forces you to have a certain amount of open space, side yard setbacks, front yard setbacks. Yep. You know, a certain amount of impervious area. They limit the density. They limit the floor area ratios. So, that when you drive out to suburban areas and you see houses far apart and you see big box shopping stores instead of walkable communities, the reason for this is government regulation. Mm -hmm. Developers don't want to build that because it's not cost effective.
0: I understand. Yep. So, they're cutting back on the convenience for the local people and everything like that. Do you know how Houston gets around this? How's that? I don't know. I was, I was asking.
3: <laughs> oh, I thought you had some uh, no. witticism.
0: No. Zoning. Well, one, well, one you, thing one thing uh, they do use is deed restrictions. Yes. To, to say that you can never put a McDonald's up here or something like that.
3: And that was the original zoning. And if you go to the Philadelphia suburbs, you know, out along the main line, there mm-hmm. are all kinds of deed restrictions because that's how they controlled land use before the advent of zoning. huh. And there's still an effect out there.
0: It's interesting. I thought... Deed restrictions had a shelf life, 99 years or something like that.
3: Not that I'm aware of. Some of them can go quite a long time. Uh-huh. And to undo them is, uh, well, it takes an act of yeah, <laughs> not I Congress know. but through the courts. I know. It's, yeah. it's
0: not not easy to do that because I'm a big fan of deed restrictions. I saw that happen in Abington Township. There was a religious community there. They wanted to put up another another building. And the neighbors said, no, 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 you can't do it. It's already overbuilt. And they said, well, tell you what, we'll put in a deed restriction that says no more buildings after this one. And the neighborhood said, all right, sounds good. Well, about five years later, guess what happened? Yep. They wanted to build another building. Of course. And it went back and forth and back and forth. And last I heard, it's not happening. Yeah. Deed restrictions are a great way of doing it.
3: Well, deed restrictions is voluntary, right? I entered into this contract with you. I'm going to buy your land, but I have to do it on your terms. Mm-hmm. zoning is an entirely different matter. Someone who's never been in that chain of title gets to decide what I do with my property or you do with See, your property. that's plain wrong. I agree. I agree. That's tyranny of the majority.
0: That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. You have the right to live your life your way, provided you respect the rights and property of others. Right. And where's the respect?
3: Right. And some people say that, you know, if we didn't have zoning, well, then there'd be all kinds of environmental issues and it would be this and there'd be that. Well, no, because, you know, trespassing laws still apply, Right. Someone, yes. someone can't dump on your property. They can't, you know, like shine bright lights or lasers in your window. I mean, there, yes. there are ways to deal with this without restricting the use or the intensity or the density of properties.
0: Yes. As a matter of fact, we addressed that very issue in episode 21. It was the same question that came up. And we had yep, – I'm trying to look at my, my thing here. But, yep.
3: Yeah. So I think a lot of the issues facing our communities these days, traffic – lack of housing, Uh, a lot of it comes down to the fact that we're relying on government to plan things instead of private developers. Mm -hmm. A developer doesn't want to build a community that has no sewer. They'll put the sewer in, you know? They they don't want a community where there's no parking. They're going to put parking in. They're going to do what the market demands. And the trouble is the zoning is always behind the market.
0: Well, yeah, it's a political football. It's like education. Right. You need to pass a law. And political football is exactly the term that I use. That's what happens. You invite the government into your house, you're going to get them.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so what I would definitely recommend, if not repealing all zoning, is simplifying it, right? I think there should only be three zones. Hear me out. You should have a zone for dangerous things, like oil refineries, gas refineries, something like this. if you have to have zoning. I don't like zoning.
0: Uh uh-huh.
3: Fireworks stores, stuff that's dangerous. After that, stuff that's obnoxious, right? Loud things, McDonald's Yeah, stuff with smells, <laughs> stuff with traffic. After that is everything else, multifamily housing, office, residential. If you simplified it like this, the market could decide what goes where because what zoning is at its core is centralized planning. That's right.
0: Yes. Right right out of communist Russia.
3: Yeah, and it didn't work in Russia, did it? No. It doesn't work in Venezuela. Why would it work at your local zoning board?
0: Mm -hmm. Now, I have to ask, how do you get your idea about zoning past your fellow libertarians?
3: Well, I don't want zoning. But this is my thinking of how to sell it to the rest of the world. Uh I would prefer that we repeal it entirely.
0: Yep. Well, the way I approach it is, I am not an all-or-nothing libertarian. I believe in taking small steps toward our goal. And what you like, for example, I I would be in favor of getting rid of taxes, but I realize that would never happen. Right. So what I want to do is cut taxes back as far as humanly possible. Exactly. And I have a phrase about that that my producer doesn't like me to use involving Jesuits, but we'll leave that behind. I went to a Jesuit college, so...
3: Well, we're already talking politics. Let's not bring religion into it, too. Yeah, no. why not? All,
0: all the forbidden topics. <laughs> yeah, but the point is, if we do it in small steps, and what you got there is, is a good small step, it brings a little bit of sanity back to the zoning laws.
3: Yep. And not just zoning, but also historical laws. Uh, so in a lot of these old boroughs and towns that we have in Pennsylvania, we have historical district ordinances. And what they are doing is unintentionally causing problems in the neighborhood. So if someone has to go and ask permission to paint their house, what do you think the result's going to be? If they have to pay a permit fee to put a new roof on, what happens to the town? People don't want to go through a Mm -hmm. process like that just to maintain the property they already own. So
0: We had to do that.
3: Right. Is that fun? No. No,
0: not (laughs) fun at all. It's horrible. You know, Kevin, there's one thing about being on the radio that it irks me. I'm probably going to have it stick in my craw some days. That the time goes by far, far, far too quickly, and we've come to the end of what we need to do. Do you have a website, or you want to direct people to your brokerage, or what would you like to close with?
3: Sure. I prefer people use the Facebook page. Actually, I update that more often. Uh, Gone Home Realty is the name of my uh, real estate brokerage, and uh, we do residential, we do commercial, uh, all over south, southern, uh, central Pennsylvania.
0: Uh huh. And you got to spell that, otherwise people are going to be doing G O N E Home.
3: <laughs> yep. It's G A U. G-H-E-N, home, realty. Gone home realty.
0: Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Oh, Thanks for being here. And that's going to just about wrap it up for the them portion of our show. My thanks again to our guest, Kevin Gohin. I got it right again. For appearing on the Pennsylvania Project. We're going to pause for this information. And when we return, I'll be ranting about something that really sticks in my craw. How some parents discipline their kids.
1: The following is a commercial announcement.
0: Hey, Anna, how's it going? Eh,
1: could be better. Why? What's the matter? I just found a great job, but I can't take it. Why not? They want me to go with a 1099 contractor. So? So? So what about all the taxes? Federal taxes, state taxes, this tax, that tax. I have better things to do than figuring out the tax laws and filling out all those forms.
0: Then you need Amendment 16.
1: Hey, it's the damn 16th Amendment that got me in this predicament in the first place.
0: No, no, no. Amendment 16, the invoicing service. They'll invoice your client for the hours and expenses you report to them, and when your client pays them, they pay you. Minus all required state and federal taxes. It's that easy. One call does it all. And they'll even have an accountant fill out your personal taxes for you come April Fool's Day. I mean, come April 15th.
1: And they take care of all the taxes? All of the forms?
0: Yep. And they can pass along certain tax breaks, too.
1: Sounds perfect. Where do I find them?
0: On the web, of course, at amendment16.com, with 16 spelled out. Amendment, S-I-X-T-E-E-N dot com. One call does it all.
1: You've been a registered Libertarian for years, voted for Libertarians even longer, and lived by Libertarian principles all your life. Now it's time to take the next step and become a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. Keep abreast of the march towards liberty in Pennsylvania, take an active role in making it happen, maybe even consider running for political office yourself. It all starts with becoming a dues-paying member of the Libertarian Party of Pennsylvania. It's easy, fast, and only $20 a year. So visit lppa.org to sign up today. That's lppa.org. Do it today. A freer future is waiting.
0: Hey, Ken Krawchuk here again, and welcome to the me portion of episode 23 of the Pennsylvania Project, where I get to rant a bit about something that really sticks in my craw. Today, I want to talk about how some parents discipline their kids. Oh, yeah. You must have seen innumerable examples of wild kids. In supermarkets, knocking over the displays. In restaurants, chugging the ketchup. and At the homes of friends and relatives that make your life and your vis- visits there miserable. Wild kids. And the poor, hapless parents who can't control them. You see them try all sorts of things like bribery. Well, if you're good, I'll give you ice cream. I love the toothless threats. Don't make me stop this car. Or that late, latest trendy catch-all, the timeout. You can really see how effective these things are by their results. But there are still parents out there who use the tried-and-true approach, spanking. But that's, not, that's no longer political correct, is it? We do a rant about political correctness. You know, soon, soon, I promise. But I digress. My wife and I, we raised three daughters, and we spanked them. But we always followed my mother's advice. Spank where it doesn't show, <laughs> and not too often. Do it more strategically than tactically. But you know, we practice an unusual form of discipline with our kids, one that I haven't heard anywhere else. And that's really what I want to bring up, because most parents, in my mind, they, they could be doing things better. All well, our kids turned out okay. They're all married off, and none of them are in jail, at least not at the moment. Regardless, they all they're all pretty far from the norm. That's not surprising, considering their parents. But before I go into some of the details of our brand of discipline, let me give some context by giving you some examples of what our kids were like. For example, when they were young, they'd say some silly things. For example, our eldest daughter, when she was three, she'd say, Can I have a cookie? And i say, What's the magic word? And, of course, she'd say, Please. me. I was in a playful mood, and I said, Oh, yeah? What does please mean? And she sat there and thought about it with a seriousness that only a three-year-old would. And she said, it means I want it now. Our middle girl was just as inventive. For example, when she was about three, she's playing with her stuffed animal toys. She grabbed her stuffed doggy and hopped it across the floor and went, woof, 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 woof. And she grabbed her kitty and hopped it across the floor and went, meow, 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 And she grabbed her stuffed giraffe, looked at the giraffe for a moment, and hopped it across the floor going, giraffe, giraffe, giraffe. As they grew older, they said more of the darndest things. Like we were And the one girl, she was 12. We were camping in Canada. And there was a moose standing by the side of the road. A bunch of people had parked and were all around the moose, walking right up to the moose, taking pictures. And she whispers to me, she says, Dad, why isn't the moose running away? And I said, do you see how big that moose is? And how big those antlers are? Who do you think should be running away? She backed off, said, Dad, I'll wait in the car. (laughs) Well, that was a reasonable reaction. Sometimes they try and get a reasonable reaction out of me. For example, when our eldest daughter is about 14, she comes home with a young man in her arms. She says, Dad, we're engaged. I just said, in what? (laughs) Getting back to the point of my rant, not only do kids say the darndest things, they also do the darndest things. So we had all kinds of house rules. We kept a list on the computer and every time they did something wrong, it got added to the list. Of course, that list is huge. There are like a million of them. But looking at some of them are obvious like no TV to homework is done, keep your feet off the furniture, no talking with your mouth full. Some of them are are pretty interesting like number 51, use a ladder when getting down from the top bunk. You can imagine what triggered that. Number 60, stay off the roof. You don't wanna know what triggered that one. And number 77, one of my favorite, stolen from a classic book, The Child's Garden of Grass. Games involving guns, knives, fire and high places are out for obvious reasons. Now, if so somebody rules to break, there has to be some method of discipline, and we had a very unique one. We called it the grace. A kid would receive a grace whenever we catch them doing something right or anything remarkable or out of the ordinary. Then, if they ever broke one of the rules and got punished, they could use one grace to get out of any one punishment. For example, when the kid was grounded and wanted to go out, she'd use a grace, and you could only use a grace once. And they keep track of them by writing on the back of my old business card, sometimes with a little picture. They get graces for memorable things, like catching your first fish, getting five 100s on a row on a math test, or getting dad's beer right away without arguing. Well, that's out of the ordinary. They learn graces for technical feats, like fixing the Nintendo, or creating a website better than what dad can do, or figuring out how to get past the computer password, something I probably shouldn't be encouraging. You know, they get graces for social feats, things like... Getting a letter to the editor published in a newspaper. Remember newspapers? Handing out literature at the tax day at the post office. Libertarian kids. And one for drinking and driving responsibly. Yes, yes, one of the kids was 21, but she got a grace. Just because she's grown up doesn't mean you stop getting them. Giving graces are good, but you know, that's only half the problem. There's the other side. What do you do when you catch a kid doing something wrong, not just something right? How do we punish them? Something as unique as the grace its kind of an anti-grace. We called it a curse. No, it doesn't involve swearing at the kids, although sometimes you may be sorely tempted to do that. The way it works is extremely simple. Kids always take turns doing chores around the house, like setting the table, running the vacuum, that sort of thing. But if a kid had a curse, doesn't matter whose turn it is, they go to the front of the line, do the chore, lose the curse. It's a great alternative to spanking, or timeouts or anything like that because it's productive. Especially, it's better than spanking once they start getting older. You know, you got a 15-year-old, you can't really spank a 15-year-old girl. No comment. Curses wouldn't get down like graces would. There were just too many of them to keep track of. So we just kept track of the total number. And just whenever they did use up a curse, we just subtract one off the number. The kids with the most curses would always be the one going to the front of the line. And you know, there was an exchange rate, too, between graces and curses. One grace would cancel out two curses. And I remember some epic battles between the kids where the two of them are armed with graces, and neither one wanted to use the curse, and they'd be canceling as many curses as they could back and forth and back and forth battling to see who's going to wind up going to the front of the chore line. My wife is over there smiling. She remembers all this stuff. Curses were a wonderful way of getting kids punished and not to mention getting chores done. It's like an undue command for the kids for whenever they break the rules. We have grandkids now, four of them, and my wife tells me, grandkids are your reward for not murdering your kids when they were teenagers. But we still follow the old way of graces and curses because it break our hearts to even think about spanking them. Now, think, think about it. Wouldn't it be nice if you and I were given graces? An undue command for real life, Give us the ability to take back something we said or did. Cancel out the effects. Undo something you wish I hadn't said. And you know, there's another side to that coin. How many times do other people say or do things to us, things that we wish they had never said or done? But more importantly, that what they do, more important than what they do, is what we do in response. Because it's a fact we cannot control those around us. We can only control how we choose to react. But what do we do? Do we give others that second chance, the chance that we'd like them to give to us, a chance to do it over, a chance to start again, a control Z or command Z for you apple heads? Do we give them a grace? Do we just curse them or curse at them, put them to the top of the chore list? I'm a firm believer that the world is what we make it. What mark would you choose to leave upon the world? Curses, graces, the choice, my dear listeners, is always up to you, kids or adults. On that moralistic note, that's going to wrap it up for episode 23 of the Pennsylvania Project. If you have something to say, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at PennsylvaniaProject.com, and you can hear us there too, as well as on iTunes and other popular podcast providers. Right after you sign our petition... To get the Pennsylvania Constitution taught in schools, that is. Today's episode is courtesy of Amendment 16 Limited, recorded live at the studios of WWDB Radio, broadcasting at 10 a.m. every Saturday and 8.60 a.m. in Philadelphia, and released as a podcast every Tuesday at PennsylvaniaProject.com. Our webmaster is Stephen Worley, marketing guru Connor Dragotis, featured Toastmaster narrator Anna Egan Hess, keyboard wizard Joe the Pag, radio producer Brett Kronberger, executive producer Mark Bazzacco, and me, your caster, Ken Krawchalk. Thanks for joining us, and remember, more important than solving the problem correctly is to solve the correct problem.